You have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lithub.com. Part 2 of Paul Holden Graber's conversation with Alain de Botton. Yes, it, it, in, in, in many ways I, I used to, to think that um, Madame Bovary was a rewriting, but of course in a very, very different mode to Don Quixote. You know, there is yes, a, I mean, uh, the, dangers, there are, the dangers of fiction in some way. That's right, that's right. And they're, they're unusual because they're, they're about the dangers of daydreaming by, by, by the people who you know, have traditionally created daydreams for us. So they're very unusual books in that they're very sort of meta. They they stand outside their own practice and, and examine it. And that's why they're, they're so interesting um, and so compelling. Uh, and, um, you know, one wishes that Madame Bovary had a chance to read Madame Bovary, then she wouldn't have had to commit suicide. And her life is, in a way, an, an, an exemplary tale of what happens when one's relationship to fiction goes a bit wrong. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously very poignant and very moving. Um, but it, it's signaling, really, that in order to have good love lives, we need to have a good background culture that encourages us to have good habits. Um, and I don't think that currently we, we have such a very helpful um, backdrop. Um, we've got quite a good backdrop when it comes to parenting. We've created, say, in the last 80 years, some pretty useful ideas about what it means to be a good parent, much, much better than previous generations. We now know that um, you know, scolding a child intemperately is not going to create good results, um, et cetera, et cetera. We know a lot of the um, more uh, you know, robust or um, plain abusive behavior of old has now kind of gone out the window. But I think we're still only taking baby steps when it comes to relationships. Um, we still most of us don't understand the, influ the influence of the past on the present that um, our childhoods are going to have an enormous impact on how we love, who we love, and how we respond in different situations. Um, the ideas of, that are collected in psychoanalysis are still pretty foreign to many people or indeed are dismissed as mumbo-jumbo and a sort of old hat. Um, I happen not to think so. I think there's a lot to learn. Um, yeah. Had we had we better better novels to read, um, would we be better at the job of love? Um, look, I think that's that's the hope. Um, that's really the hope. The idea of the novel as a as a piece of education, as a kind of bildungsroman. So it's an education like, sentimentale for our age. Th that's how, for example, Jane Austen looked at her novels. She, you know, someone says, oh, you know. What, why was she doing what she was doing? She essentially wanted us to become more mature about relationships. That's how we put it in modern language. Um, and, you know, I think we've slightly lost the ambition of the novel in that regard. Um, and it's kind of a sense that a novel shouldn't be a moralizing medium. It shouldn't have an intention on the reader. It, it, it's, you know, its lessons, insofar as it has any, should be very, very lightly articulated. There should be no sense that the writer is prodding the reader in certain directions. Um, I'm more vulgar. I, as I say, I, I look back towards a more parable-based vision of fiction, um, and which you know still has its its occasional practitioner um, 
a minority tradition. The majority tradition is is very much the kind of uh, show and don't tell. Um, but I suppose I'm looking at, at people like Jane Austen or Tolstoy um, as as more moralizing writers. Um, that's the tradition that excites me. And and the other tradition that excites you, since you were mentioning the Germans before, are the the, the novels, and particularly one that had such an impact, an impact that I think perhaps nearly no literature has ever had quite to that extent, which is uh, The Sorrows of Young Werther. That's right, an extraordinary novel, which is really the beginning of the cult of romanticism in Europe. Um, it's it's responsible for a lot of problems, because it's, it you know, in one short book, it contains all sorts of terrible myths about love. Um, and, you know, it's very seductive and very charming, um, in the same way as chocolate is, but you wouldn't want to recommend it as your daily diet to anyone. It's, um, you know, it, it's, it's a fantasy story about, um, you know, a young man who has a very peculiar idea of what love means. I mean, a psychoanalyst looking at young Werther would uh, have him straight on the couch as an example of, um, you know, narcissistic immaturity. Um, and what he thinks is love is nothing like love. Um, as it, as it should really be conceived of. But um, in some ways, I mean, as you mentioned, psychoanalysis, uh, psychoanalysis, I, I'm thinking of, of Adam Phillips, we, who we both know, and his most recent book, which is called Unforbidden Pleasures, seems to me to go in some way in the direction you're going, insofar that it is in some sense a a celebration of the the prosaic um a, a celebration of um the quotidian or if not a celebration at least taking into account uh, as you do that some of the things that we find the most banal are perhaps among the most important things that may sustain a relationship. I think uh, particularly of my own parents who were married for a little over 70 years. How how does one ma manage a, such a long journey together? Well, in part, one does by by appreciating the really tiny and sometimes very annoying things that seem to take the passion out of it all. Um, yes, I mean, it you know, seems terribly downbeat to have to celebrate the small things uh, and uh, the ordinary pleasures. And it, and it seems weird because we think that surely we can all do that. But, um, you know, I was just in Japan, and Japan is a very strange culture for um, a Westerner to, to show up. And when I arrived, um, you know, one of the first things I saw outside my hotel was a group of 30 people uh, photographing a tree. Uh, it was the cherry blossom season, and um, it was time to get out, you know, one's camera and have some really very appreciative moments about leaves. Um, now, you know, I, I read an extraordinary statistic, $6 billion the um, cherry blossom season is worth the Japanese economy. And so this is a nation which, unlike any other nation on Earth, has learned to take immense pleasure in the relatively everyday phenomenon of um, a blossoming tree. Um, and, you know, I think that in our lives, we, we're very selective about what we decide is a pleasure. 
Um, you know, for most of humanity, the idea of uh, sliding down a snowy mountain would not have been considered a pleasure. Now the skiing industry is, again, worth billions because essentially it's an almost artistic move. Someone has pointed out that there is pleasure to be had in doing a certain thing, sliding down a mountain, looking at a piece of uh, a tree. Um, but, you know, we still often, our attention is distracted in pretty unhelpful ways. Um, we live obviously in commercial societies where all the noise is around purchasing particular uh, items and these become ingrained into our sense of what is pleasurable. Um, so it's almost inconceivable for us to um, kind of step away from these very prescribed pleasures that are all the time being dictated, where you should go on vacation, what you should eat, um, how you should value somebody, how you should spend your time. There are lots and lots of suggestions out there, very powerful commercially oriented suggestions. And one of the things that works of art can do is modestly tug us in other directions, sometimes more neglected directions. Um, and a lot of you know, the work of artists, be they painters, poets, etc., is is about saying, stop, you know, take a look at this thing that is particularly delicate, fragile, valuable, and, you know, you've probably rushed past it before. It's it's a business of opening our eyes to the neglected facets of the everyday. Hey, I we mean, need that badly. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a, in a sense, you're, you're saying um, that works of art need to do what they perhaps did early on in our lives if we were so lucky, which is arrest us, um, yeah. stop us. Yeah. Um, you, yes. and, and they sort of beckon in a, in a, way, in a way saying, pay attention. I, I think of, you know, that wonderful line of Simone Weil where she says that attention is a form of prayer, um, which seems to me such an important... Isn't it? I mean, it's so, it's so perfectly said. And in a, in a, in a way, we, we, I think we, when I say we, I, I'm, I'm absolutely including myself, sort of walk by too quickly, not only in front of the works of art in a museum, but as you said, in front of a, a cherry blossom. On this very program, uh, on a phone call from Paul, I called Clive James up and had him read Japanese maple. And, you know, it's just so important to pay attention to the beauty that surrounds us. Obviously, the the, the natural beauty is, is one of the most important. And the romantics, even if one speaks against them when they speak about love, try to attract our attention to, to the beauty that surrounds us and, and inspires us maybe and conspires to make us, as it were, fall in love. But you know, one thing that I, I think makes us fall in love with other people is how, how they talk, if we, if we share or don't share their adjectives. Um, yes, uh, yes, or if, I mean, more generally, not just, just individual words, but, but just... Uh, you know, directions of their thought. Um, because one of the things, of course, we're very bad at doing is um, listening to other people. Um, and um, because there's so much we want to say and we don't want to listen to the other person. Um, and so a lot of conversation ends up being a kind of um, double-sided egoism um, where, you know, no one is willing to or able to put aside their own concerns in order to really enter imaginatively into the life of someone else. Um, which is a, a huge and, and again beautiful challenge, uh, but one that we 
one that we rarely do. So, you know, just to kind of where we'll sum up, I mean, what we're dealing with is a, 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 a kind of poignant lack of attention, lack of attention to ourselves and our own thoughts, lack of attention to the natural world and its beauty, uh, and lack of attention to the kind of wondrousness of other people. Um, we need to be generous to ourselves. We're under pressure. We've got all sorts of things to do. Um, no wonder we can't, you know, keep our eyes open all the time. Um, but it's, I think, I think it's one of the things that art can routinely do for us and why we value it. Alain, in closing, um, one writer who, who matters greatly to, to me, who I haven't reread recently, but he sort of accompanies me when I think about love, as it were, is uh, Benjamin Constant, um, his short book called Adolphe, which I, I imagine you probably know. And in Adolphe, um, he, he has this line where he more or less says, um, we are such strange, bizarre creatures that the feelings we feign to have, we end up having them. French. I mean, it takes you back to that La Rochefoucauld quote yeah. about there are some people who would never have fallen in love if they hadn't heard there was such a thing. Yeah. My favorite uh, aphorisms. I mean, yes, we are creatures of, of imitation and um, it's so hard to know what's going on inside us that if someone comes along and has a very strong account of what should be going on inside us, we'll sort of take their word for it. Um, and uh, we're, we're kind of open to suggestions about what we should be feeling. You know, the, 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 another line from Constant from Adolphe, which is written purely from the point of view of a man falling in love with a woman, you never hear her voice. Um, he, he says, we, we spoke about love in order not to speak about other, th other matters. And, you know, there are these wonderful, wonderful um, moments in it. Do, do you know the book? Yes, I do. And, and it's, um, I mean, it's, again, it's a study in immaturity. Um, That's right. With an eye towards maturity. That's right. But, um, I don't know how it would age. You know, I don't, I, if to, to the young adolescent I was, it was highly exciting. Um, I think now... Some of the prosaic matters you 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 discuss, a romantic script that maybe should be rewritten in order for us to stay together with the person we've chosen to be with. Um, I, I think that rereading Adolphe might might just not do that trick. In some way, I think of Love in the Time of Cholera, where the main character sort of is upset because his wife didn't put out the bar of soap for him in the shower. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's one of the sort of unspoken things about literature that some books become impossible after a certain age, just like some books are impossible before a certain age. It, it's not something that um, is often spoken about. Um, it definitely happens with cinema as well. Um, you know, it's, things are not for all seasons, um, but that's fine. You just have to find the era-appropriate work. Um, and um, do you go back to to movies such as Eric Romer's movies? Um, I do, but with some trepidation. Yeah. Well, they'll. <laughs> yeah. They. They. I. I. I would be frightened. I mean, I love Manuel Chemaud. I. I love Le Genou de Claire, Claire's Knee, and My Night at Maud's. 
But I, I'm worried. I'm worried about what I loved. I recently saw, um, rewatched the Richard Linklater's trilogy uh, before sunrise. Midnight. Before midnight. There was one other one, middle one. Um, but, you know, the, the fascinating thing is that the first one is hopelessly romantic. Um, and the last one is wonderfully mature. And they're both on the side of love. But, you know, the last one before midnight is, is just a really grown-up piece of cinema, such as you almost never see. It's just extraordinary in its um, uh, anomalous nature. I mean, you just think it's... I've never seen two people in a relationship talking to each other as as real people do. I will I will watch that partly because I will watch it in that sequence as one should just partly because it will give me some hope. Yes. <laughs> I think it does give hope. Um the, la- the the last one it's it's a wonderful portrait of a marriage in which two people have stored up so much bitterness, resentment, sense of confinement, but then they let it all out in a extraordinary cathartic moment they insult each other which is the last one what is the name of it it's called before midnight i I must see that yeah it's really it's really great as i say there are not many films where you think okay that's that's an adult telling us about adult relationships but that's one of them i will watch it and i'm i'm so looking forward to to the course of of love which i think is coming out in the in the states imminently sometime in yes in, in, in middle of june middle, of, middle june. of june of 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 this year i'm looking this forward year. does does it does it include also those photographs by uh, nigel shafran oh i wish um but no it doesn't um but it should because i must say i i so I so liked uh, seeing them in the the Financial yes, Times piece, I, uh, particularly, you know, of course, um, in a in a self-referential way, uh, the 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 photograph of Ruth on the phone seems to me, you know, seems to me perfect. You know, yeah. she's doing the dishes Absolutely. and she's she's doing the dishes and she's taking care yeah. of the business of keeping a house in order and probably. Um, Trying to keep her marriage together, so all of it is. So worked. we're all a bit in love with her because she's she's heroic. She's yes. an ordinary heroine, and that's wonderful. Well, Alain, it's 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 truly a, a great pleasure to talk to you, and I I very much enjoy um, reading you. I very much enjoy speaking with you. I enjoyed talking to you about work many years ago and travel, and I look forward to when we next talk about love. I look forward to that too very much and i'm a great admirer and um hope hope to see you soon you will let's let's make a plan of it and thank you for taking my call thank you so much paul thank you then bye 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 bye